You know, Randy mentioned uh, this morning, Randy uh, Boyd mentioned this morning a little bit about King David. And uh, one thing I like about the Bible is the way the Bible is just, just frank with the, with the people of God and their mistakes. I mean, David's one of our heroes. The guy's a giant killer. I mean, you can't get any bigger than that, I don't think. I mean, that was... He led the armies of Israel. They expanded the territory, but you know, further than they ever had before. I mean, one time they came in and they, they raided his camp, took his wives and stuff like that as men. He just rallied himself. He says he strengthened himself in the Lord, went and he went, took it back. I mean, the guy was amazing. He, he surrounded himself with 30 giant killers. I mean, these guys killed more giants than David did. He just reproduced giant killers. The Messiah would come after his lineage. And so we, we basically put David up there as like, this guy is amazing. But he did have a few other issues. <laughs> I mean, he did have a woman issue, okay? I mean, I'm just telling you, I don't know how many wives the guy had, but he had concubines. I mean, like, what are those for? They weren't in the wives category, they were in the... The guy might have been a sex addict, I don't know, you know? And there was, and there was uh, you know, the thing with Bathsheba and stuff like that. And then, I mean, and, and then as a being a father, he, this, that was not his strong category either. I, I mean, I guess if you have a lot of wives and you have a bunch of kids, it's kind of tough to be a father. But he, he didn't do so good in the father category either. I mean, you know, Randy mentioned uh, this morning a little bit about Absalom. Well, you know, if you know that story, you know, Absalom had a sister. Her name was Amnon. And, uh, and so he, he had this sister, and there was, a, there was a, excuse me, her name was Tamar. Tamar, and there's, but there was a stepbrother named Amnon. And so Amnon basically wanted to marry his sister. I mean, that's just something wrong right there. But he wanted to marry his sister, and uh, she wouldn't do it, and she just kind of put him aside. Well, one day, he just, he just raped her. And, uh, and then he wouldn't, wouldn't have anything to do with her. He just like, you know, he just, oh, I had my way with you, you know. And, and now she's shamed and lost her virginity and all that kind of stuff. And David did not do anything. Absalom got a little upset. He decided he would do it, so he killed him. Of course, when one son kills another son, then that gets you in big trouble. So, you know, Absalom ran away. And, and then eventually, you know, he let uh, Absalom come back. But the way he dealt with Absalom was simply to shun him. In other words, I'm not going to talk to you. You can't come see me. You can't come eat at my table anymore. I'm going to pretty much treat you like a stranger. Rather than just bring him in, just give him a good spanking, a beating or something, I don't know, but he, did, he just shunned him like that. And so, well, it could be that Absalom was just simply reflecting the way that he was treated. But possibly David was doing this because David had maybe the same issue growing up. I don't know if you know the story when David was young and 
And the, the prophet goes to, to, to Jesse's house because God told him the next king is gonna be one of your sons. And he says, go grab all your sons and bring them in. And he lined these sons up and, uh, and Samuel's looking at these guys and going, oh man, that looks good. And God said, hey, you're looking on the outside. I'm looking at the heart. And God said, it's none of these guys. And so Samuel's confused. He said, Jesse, do you have any more sons? He goes, oh, yeah, there's one. He's out in the field. And you kind of wonder, I mean, everybody said, well, you know, he's just a little kid and he's out in the field and so he didn't bring him in. But the truth is, there might have been something else to that story. And the reason we say that is because in the book of Psalm chapter 51, when David is actually confessing his sin before God for what he did with Bathsheba and what he did in having her husband killed and stuff, and he's repenting for that particular thing, he makes this statement, he says, in sin, I was conceived. What does that tell you? Maybe a servant girl, maybe, I don't know. It, the Bible never talks about his mom. But that's probably why. Possibly what is happening is David is simply just reproducing what has happened to him. That's kind of what happens, but we bring it up primarily to say this, that, I mean, you can be an amazing person for God and still have issues and have struggles and have areas that are really not where they should be. The, uh, uh, the book of Luke actually is uh, Jesus is, is in the Luke chapter four, quoting out of Isaiah chapter 61, gives us job description that comes out of Isaiah 61.1. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. You see, a captive is a person who is in bondage, not because of something that they did, but what something somebody else did. A prisoner is there because of what you did. But the good news is, whether you're in bondage because of things that you did or things that other people did, or maybe both of those categories, the good news is Jesus says there's freedom. That's the good news. Normally on this uh, night, we, you know, we, we talk about the, I mean, the theme is usually like everybody's wounded, you know, and, and that David kind of comes and fits in that category. But actually, Randy Reese asked me to take a little bit different direction. So if you don't like it, you can blame him. <laughs> well, you hadn't heard it yet. You, you never know. It might be good. But we're going to focus on in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, uh, 2 and 3. And that's going to be the foundational verses that we're going with. Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus here, and he is... And what he's doing is that he's, he's uh, talking to believers, and he says this in verse 1. And by the way, I want you to note, as, as, as I read this, the verb tenses, okay? He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In other words, this is not who you are anymore. You, you, you've come into life. You're no longer dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world. 
according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived according to the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. You need to understand that this passage is not talking about a, a current condition, it's talking about a previous condition. This is no longer who they are or what has authority over them. But what he does, he basically lays out three different areas that has caused them to be taken out. It's the world. It's the demonic. It's the flesh. But yet what he is saying is that, guys, these no longer have any authority over you anymore. This is not who you are. This is who you were. And if you go on, I mean, you get to that fifth verse. He says, guys, you were raised with Christ and seated with him at the right hand of the Father. I mean, you were, you, were, you were seated with him right now in the heavenlies, in the highest place of authority. At the end of that chapter, just, a, just the verses right before those we read, you know, he, he says that he, Jesus is far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then he said he's given all of this to the church, which is, which is us. That's, that's a good word right there. Yeah. Randy talked about uh, the, the enemy that we have. You know, he said the first thing, you, to get this thing in perspective, is that you do have a friend. I like that. But then you do have an enemy. He talked about that word schemes. In fact, that word schemes is used in a, you know, he, he talked about how the enemy has a thought out planned strategy to take you out. You'll find that word used a couple of times, two different Greek words actually, but one is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. The other is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. And both of these describe the scheming that the enemy has. When Paul is talking to Timothy in, in one of the Timothys, well, in fact, both of those Timothys, he's, he talks about how the adversary has a snare. In other words, he has set up a trap in order to take you out. It's a well-conceived trap. But Paul would say in that 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, verse 2 or 2.11, that, that, that when that word scheme is used there, he says that you are not to be ignorant of his schemes. Stupidity will take you out. You ought, you ought to write that one down. You know, sometimes some of us just need to break the spirit of stupid off of us. I mean, that's really... But the truth is, guys, that we are, we, are, we are really at war. I mean, we really are at war. I mean, that's the language that the Scripture uses. For the weapons, you know, you know 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 through 5, where it says, and the weapons of our warfare. In other words, we, we, we are at war. 
The language, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he talks about being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6 says that we war not against flesh and blood. Then he tells you to put on the full armor. What do you need armor for? Well, because you are, you're at war. And sometimes we act like we're at peacetime. Some of us are like, I, I, that's what I, I signed up for peace. I didn't sign up for the war stuff. I didn't, what, what's this stuff? I mean, it, and, 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 and so I'm going to pretend I'm at peace as if you pretend you're at peace, it's going to actually be there. I mean, Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. I mean, some of you are like, well, I, when I gave my heart to Jesus, I, I mean, I signed up for the luxury cruise. You know, I want the cruise ship. I mean, that's what, I mean, I, I, I want the abundant life. I was promised the abundant life. So you saunter on down to the dock in, in, with, your, with your suntan lotion and your, and your you know, bathing suit, and, and all of a sudden you get there, and the, it's, it's, where's the cruise ship? Because it's, it, it, this looks like a battleship. I didn't sign up for the battleship. I signed up for the non-tribulation Christian life. We cut out those passages of Scripture, like in James Warren says, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Like, when? What do you mean, when? Shouldn't it be if? I mean, isn't that like optional? I mean, the adversary, he does have a plan for your destruction. And it is well conceived, and he wants to use it to take you out. The other thing it says there, it says that you're no longer of the flesh. Now, I may be news to some of you guys because that still feels true. But it's not true. I mean, regardless of what you feel, that's really what it, what it says. I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old is gone. It is, so what does gone mean to you? Like it's still there? No, it's, it means gone. Gone is gone. Okay, the old is gone, the new is come. You are a new creation. The old part is gone. Well, it feels like it's still there. That's because you still got thinking that's in agreement with it. Here, here's another good verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. In other words, if you belong to him and his spirit is in you, it says that you are no longer in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. Well, it doesn't feel like that. That's because you still have old thinking. Romans chapter 6 says that sin is no longer your master. It says righteousness is your new master. In other words, if you look in the Romans chapter 6, you will see that it says that actually you are no longer prone for sin. You are actually prone towards righteousness. Well, that doesn't feel true. 
I don't care what it feels like. That's what the word says. But what happens, we have old thinking that simply rules how we think and how, how you think determines how you feel and how you feel basically brings about actions. So we have our core belief system. Our core belief system generates those thinking thoughts. What I think determines how I feel. In other words, what feels true is what you have been thinking. So that doesn't feel true because you still have old thinking. So you have to change your thinking to come into agreement with what he says so that what he says will feel true. Is this making sense? I mean, this is why Romans chapter 12, one and two, talks about that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. In other words, he's talking to believers here. You may be in Christ, but yet your transformation happens when your mind is renewed to come into agreement with what the truth of who you really are. The book of Ephesians chapter four, verse 22 through 24, tells us that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. We need to take off who we are not, take off the old and put on the new nature. Our new nature, which it says is in, is in the likeness of God and created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That is the truth of who you are. So you have to put off who you aren't and put on who you are. Paul would say this in the book of Galatians chapter four, verse 19. He would say, I labor until Christ is formed in you. In other words, Christ can be in you, but that doesn't mean he's formed in you. So the, he's, he, I'm, I'm working so that the, the Jesus that's inside will actually come out and manifest in your life so that you will display the, the nature of Jesus. And Zach's gonna drill a well on this stuff in the morning on your identity, okay? But that's the truth. And we have to come into an agreement with the truth. You see, that flesh mindset is simply old thinking that got ingrained inside of you. And you thought about it so many times that that feels true. My grandpa had a dairy farm. He drove every day, in, you know, out by Stephenville, Texas. And, in, you know, he, in the mornings and, I don't know, in the afternoons when he went to get those cows, which you can train cows, by the way, I mean, he'd go out there in that old pickup truck, but on the same dirt road, and he went down that road so many times that he had grooves, ruts in that road, deep ruts. You didn't even need to steer, just stick it on there and... Every once in a while, he'd he just get out there, you know, honk the horn, cows come in, because you can train cows pretty easily. And, and they would just come on in, but sometimes a cow would have a calf. When that cow had a calf, then what he had to do, he had to get out of the ruts, go across the pasture, get that calf, stick it in the back of the pickup, and then take that calf in. And the mama would follow. You see, that's the way it is. We have gone down that road of thinking so many times that that feels normal. That is our default thinking. And because of that, if I go on automatic, I'm gonna go, I'm, you know, I'm gonna go into those ruts. 
The good news is I give my heart to Jesus. I can actually get out of those ruts, create new ruts, but I have to go down those ruts enough times that that now feels normal. Because that's what happens. You know, you give your heart to Jesus and you go, well, you're a new creature. Well, I don't feel that way. That's because you still have ruts that say you're not. But you need to get out of that, cut, go down that road enough times, speaking that truth over you, soaking yourself in his word and what his word says, so that now feels true. And what happens when you go on automatic, you will gravitate to whatever, whatever ruts are deepest. So if you got that old thinking thing like, I'm, I'm just stupid, I'm a liar, I'm just no good, I'm a piece of trash, I'm a piece of junk, and all that stuff that you've been, that basically the, the, the devil told you that, or somebody told you that, and you're just wrapping that thing around your head, then that, that, that's old thinking, and you gotta cut some new ruts into who you are. Sorry, Zach, if I'm just stealing all your stuff, but, uh, but go right ahead. I mean, people need to hear some things twice, right? At least. Okay, I, I, the, the emphasis tonight is really you empower whatever you come into an agreement with. You will either empower the darkness, you will empower the world, you will, you will, empower, the, you will, you will empower old thinking. Whatever you come into an agreement with, you will empower. But if you come and agree with, with heaven, with his word, what he says, and with truth, you actually empower that. There's, so there's, there's whatever you come into an agreement with is, is what you empower. And so the world, and I want to emphasize, talk about the world, because that's really the thing that we're not really covering in any of the sessions there, is that the world is a system of thinking that basically is like a river that's going in a direction, but the direction it's going is not in a God direction. So what happens is that you're, you're now being swept down the river with the, with the world, and then all of a sudden you give your heart to Jesus, now you have the capacity to stand and not be swept down. You actually have the capacity to begin to step on the shallower ground and not be taken out. The world is anti-Christ in nature. It's, it's, just, it's just not going with Jesus. Do you, do you know why unbelievers act like they do? It's because they're unbelievers. We should, not ever, we should not ever expect the world to act like believers, because they're not. I mean, that world around you, they're not going to act like Christians. Get over it. They don't, oh, they're, they're just not acting godly. Well, my goodness, why? That's, they're not even believers. How can they? <laughs> and so that world is going on into a particular direction here. And see, what, what, what happens is this, is, is that whatever is normal in a particular part of the world or in your world, that whatever is normal in the culture is normal by, by, because there is agreement. The people agree. And, and, you know, and that agreement could be because of consensus or constant use or even by compromise. But, you, but that, that agreement actually creates the reality, their reality, that reality. See, there's a spirit that's working behind that. We, just, we looked at that in Ephesians 2, too, about the spirit that is, that is working in the sons of disobedience. In other words, when we look at the world and the direction of the world, they're... they're, they're 
there is a spirit that's working behind this stuff. Does that, is that new to you? I mean, oh, hopefully not. You kind of figured this thing out. I mean, this, I mean, this spiritual stuff happens to be real. And, and you see, the, the any time behind any worldly agenda, there's going to be a spirit that's working behind it. That's what Ephesians 2, 2 says. And, and whenever there is agreement, then there is the power to accomplish whatever is agreed upon, whether it is a godly agenda or a ungodly agenda. I mean, for example, in the book of, book of Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, you know, really, it's talking about the Tower of Babel. Remember that thing? Those guys were building that big tower. And, 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 and basically, verse one says this, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And then in verse six, God speaks. And he says, behold, they are one people. They all have the same language, and this is what they began to do. Now, nothing, listen to this, Nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Their agenda was not heaven's agenda. It was man's agenda. Yet God says because they are in agreement with the agenda that's not even God's agenda, because there is agreement, he says nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Our adversaries understands this principle of agreement. Colossians chapter two, verse 14 and 15, tells us that the adversary was stripped of all authority. He has none. We say, oh no, there's principalities and powers. Yet, let me tell you something. Those principalities and powers, the only authority that they have is what man gives them. Man gives them his authority. They have no authority on their own. That will strip. Colossians 2, 14 and 15 is very clear about that. The devil has no authority, so the only way he's going to gain authority is if you give him authority. If you come into an agreement with his agenda, you give him your authority. And if he can get people, a culture, a group to come into an agreement, then those people are giving them that authority. So they're operating not out of their own demonic authority, but the authority that man has given them. Adolf Hitler. A lot of us think, oh, that guy was a bad dude. Well, let me tell you, he was not really the problem. It was the spirit that was working behind Adolf Hitler that was the problem. He was just a puppet. The spirit that was working in him was a true antichrist spirit. I know some of you get hung up on that word. You think that's talking about the antichrist, you know, like in the book of Revelations, which, by the way, the book of Revelations never says the word antichrist. That word is only used three times in the New Testament. First John used three times. Second John used once. And it's really talking about this spirit that is working since really Jesus' time in this antichrist. It may manifest one day in some old guy, but I'm telling you right now, that spirit has been working and will continue to work. He 
Hitler, in 1925, was in, he was in prison. He was in prison for political crimes. And when he was there, he wrote his book called Mein Kampf, which is my struggle. And in that book, he basically blamed all the ills of Germany on three different sources. One, he said there was the communists that were on one side of Germany, and then on the other side in Europe, there's all these European socialist, uh, democratic, you know, so that's what they actually were called, you know, socialist democrats. And, and then he said, but that's not the biggest issue. The biggest problem happens to be what he labeled as the Jewish peril. The little conspiracy theory that the Jews are trying to take over the world. We got to take out the Jews. In 1930, that was the best-selling book in Germany. There was an agreement with that agenda, and they put this guy in power And they began to execute those things. And what happened to the Jews during that time? Uh, we, we had a, was a few years ago, we had, we had a group from Germany here and a group from Poland that were here. And that uh, was a great time, I mean, at boot camp. And, and, and the Germans were still apologizing to the Poles for what their ancestor did. It's like we can't believe that our ancestors did this. We don't know what happened. There, you know, they're supposed to be this and very intelligent people, but it's like they lost their brains. And the reason they lost their brains because there is a spirit that was working behind this. They came into an agreement with that particular agenda there, and of course, we know what happened. The sad thing is, is that you would think the church would have spoken up. But they did not, they stayed silent. In fact, they were actually for the longest time embracing that agenda. And when they finally began to wake up, it was too late. Now there were some guys that were speaking up. There's that guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, written a lot of good stuff about the cost of discipleship and stuff like that. But he was, he was hung a, a week before the allied forces got into that particular camp. But anybody who actually opposed was sent off to the camps. So out of fear, they said nothing. When they had a chance in the beginning to speak against it, they basically stayed silent. And a lot of times the agenda of hell begins to run rampant because the people of God stay silent. That's also, uh, agreement is also good for the kingdom if we can all come together and be on the same page. If the church can never get on the same page. And you know, if Jesus prays a prayer, God wants to answer that prayer. Are we, are we okay with that one? Like John 17, the longest prayer we have of Jesus recorded. If Jesus prays a prayer, that prayer is possible. And he said in John 17, I pray that, my, that they be one as we are one so that the world will know that God has sent him. So what has happened, the enemy works against our unity to destroy it so that we will never come on the same page to accomplish the purposes of God. The book of Philippians chapter two, verse two, and 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 10, basically the same thing, say the same thing where Paul is saying, guys, you need to all get on the same page because if the church could ever get on the same page, we would be absolutely unstoppable. 
In the 1700s, William Wilberforce actually just met a guy who, well, named Newton, who actually wrote this song, Amazing Grace, who was an ex-slave. Yeah, he was a slaver. Got saved, wrote that song, Amazing Grace. He met him, affected him, and the guy went on a campaign in England to abolish slavery. He had to persevere. It took him 50 years to do it. But they abolished slavery in England because a man had a dream. He had a vision, and people came together and accomplished it. In the 1960s, Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream. The guy had a, he was amazing. He followed kingdom principles, nonviolence, got people to come together and did more for civil rights in his lifetime than had been done in the previous 150 years. Because people came into an agreement with an agenda from heaven. God is waiting for us to quit listening to the world and come into an agreement with heaven. But the world's trying to take us out. When I, I'm in college, I was a history and social studies major. And, and, and one of the things in, in my studies in communism, there was like four stages that they went through in order to see communism basically come into a nation. The first stage actually took the longest time, 20 years, sometimes 30 years. And it was really to pursue a moral decline so that actually, you know, the morality was just really going down the tubes, you know, so now there's no influence, the church has no influence, there's no, really, you don't believe in God, you don't, you don't uh, have the Bible as your sense of authority, so you remove all of the foundations of truth in that first stage so that the second stage, which is a, a campaign of propaganda of misinformation, because if you can remove all of those standards of truth, people will believe whatever you tell them. I'm not gonna get into the third and the fourth stage, but the first two is enough to make my point. There is an agenda of hell and there's a spirit that's behind this stuff. I mean, you don't, you don't have to look too far. In fact, I think what is happening, which is really good, I think, I think the church is starting to actually wake up to things. I mean, what, we sang that song, was it, was it uh, in, the early, in the early session about, you know, that, that, that Ezekiel 37 about the dry bones? I mean, that's, my wife and I had a had a, had a God gave us a, a word for that. I mean, my wife and I actually drove to every church. Well, we had a few people that helped us, but we did almost every church in the city of Abilene, and we began to speak to the dry bones and call them up and prophesy to those dry bones because God is trying to raise an army. What is happening is that all of a sudden the light of God is beginning to shine on everything. And by the way, when God shines his light, he doesn't discriminate on what he shines on. 
it all comes to the light. So what you're seeing now is God is bringing the light on things, and if you want a biblical context for that, you can just, out, just look at Hebrews chapter 12 where God is shaking everything that can be shaken so what cannot be shaken will remain. The only thing that cannot be shaken is his kingdom. So he, you know, he's, he's gonna shake you to death until he exposes everything that is there. And some of you know what that shaking is feel like, feels like. And I just wanna tell you this, that you need to cooperate with that shaking when he, God exposes it because the longer you put it off or the more you resist, the longer it is going to last. That's that spirit of stupidity that jumps on you to be stubborn when God is shaking. But God's light is shining on everything. He's shining in all the, he's exposing the darkness, he's exposing the schemes because see, the enemy works this way. He likes to work undercover, he likes to be not seen. He likes to just work in the dark so that you're blaming everything else. Even though Paul says that we're not struggling against flesh and blood, it's against principalities and powers. You know, your fight isn't against people, it's actually with, you know, with darkness there. And so, you know, so God is exposing all of that in these plans and these agendas that are going out, but he's also exposing all of the problems that we have. I mean, it's like all the, all the messes that our nation has created is also popping up. But, you know, you need to understand this, that God has a solution for every issue that our nation is facing. There is a kingdom, there is a kingdom plan, a kingdom fix for every issue our nation is struggling with that is coming to the surface. Now the world is gonna give you counterfeit agendas that are anti-Christ in nature to try to address things, but you know, we don't listen to those, you know, run after God's agendas. What, God, God, what are your, your kingdom solutions to all of these issues that we are facing? One of the problems that is happening is a lot of church, they're not going for kingdom solutions. They're actually just looking at these, these worldly counterfeit solutions and they're trying to Christianize them. <sighs> Spirit is stupid again, just jumped on. <laughs> but it is, God has a plan. And he's calling the church to rise up. And let me just say this. I, I get kind of happy because every time everything goes downhill, I mean, God is getting ready to do something good. I mean, when you look, just, I just look at history, okay? Look, if you just look at history, just in our country alone. I mean, if you knew what was happening in the early 1900s, I mean, we were, it's kind of like what was going on today. It was really raw and bad and horrible going down the tubes. And then bang, you got this Welsh revival going on and, you know, and in, in, the, in, in Europe there. And then you got the Zusa Street revival that happened. I mean, was, all of a sudden God just began, he brings revivals. A lot of you older guys, you, you remember the 1960s. What happened at the 1960s? I mean, if you, we were kind of making, we are on the downhill slide, right? For those of you who remember, some of those of you who are old people, like Larry Bruner and some of these guys and Randy Reese, you know. You, you know. <laughs> but but what, what happened? We, we, had, we had a charismatic revival. We had a Jesus movement. 
I, I travel. I, I travel all around the world. I, I was just. I just got back from Brazil a couple of you know a few weeks ago, and I'm telling you, all these pastors in Brazil, they're having the same issue. They all on their September 7th, which is like our July 4th, they all gathered around the nation into their nation's capital, and they prayed for the nation. I mean. Thousands and thousands of pastors gathered. They had a, I mean, there's something good going on down in Brazil. And so what God is doing, because the church all around the world is praying like we've never prayed before. We got more prayer going on than we've ever had going on in history. We're, I'm telling you, we got the initial stages of a reformation that is getting ready to happen. But for that to happen, he's got to expose the darkness. So don't freak out whenever it happens because it is just going to happen. So what's going to happen in the meantime, you know, the enemy's going to just try to, he's going to try to manipulate what you think by simply controlling what you see, what you listen to. He's going to try to control that so that you can come into an agreement with a demonic agenda. This might be a surprise to you, but you know, the media is not the source of truth. It's not the mouthpiece of truth. So I'm just letting you know that for some of you, that might be brand new to you. I got, actually, I got spanked by Facebook about three months ago. I mean, they took down a post. Like, I, didn't, I wasn't even controversial about it. I don't even know why they did it. I thought it was, you know, I, but somebody asked me, well, how, how are you doing this last year? And I go, oh, you know, this, well, 2021, a little bit better, but 2019 was good, but 2020, COVID took me out. And, you know, I mean, my job is if I'm traveling, I'm making money. If I'm not traveling, I'm not making money. And that year, nobody was having meetings. Nobody's doing conferences I wouldn't invite, I mean, all my invitations, they all canceled on me. It was not a good year for me. I mean, God was supernatural. He provided. That was, that was the good news. And that's what I put. I'm sorry, but you have violated our community values. I mean, I could have gotten controversial. We could have talked about the vaccine, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. I mean, I mean, I did, but I, I was just, I was safe. I was safe. I don't use that format anyway just to discuss my belief systems. You know, I just, I show up, I throw, through, I throw up a few pictures of my family every once in a while. That's all I do. I don't, maybe because I have so many friends, they just didn't like that. But I, I actually appealed it and they just stuck by it. But I'm telling you that our problem is not with Facebook or Instagram or YouTube or Twitter or the media. I mean, we, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. That, that, that is not our problem. So quit getting, quit getting hacked off at the wrong thing. I would quote, no, I'm not going to quote Kevin. Yeah, not, not Ritter, that guy was back. Him and Caleb, they were, those guys were raw, I'm telling you. Let me tell you, one of the spirits that, just for an example, that's been working in the last 18 months is a spirit of fear. That is a demonic spirit that has actually been working. And it's been working simply to take people out. 
Now, the scripture tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear. If you need a reference for that, it happens to be 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear. See, whenever you come into, whatever you come into an agreement with, you power. And so the enemy is the source of fear. God is not, because God is the source of faith. And he has not given us a spirit of fear. So when we come into an agreement, we actually empower that. Well, you don't know, this, this, thing's, this thing's bad. I go, well, I know it's bad. I, 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 I had it. I had a bad case of COVID. I understand, okay? I'm not saying this stuff's not real. I'm just saying that you cannot make decisions based on fear. When, when, whenever, whenever the, and let me tell you, when Paul wrote that passage in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, you know, 1 Timothy, when he wrote him a letter, I mean, the church in Ephesus was going great. I mean, things are going good. But what happened between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy? Persecution. And all of a sudden, everybody took flight and they began to run away and they began to scatter. And all of a sudden, fear was overwhelming these people. I mean, it was real. It's kind of like, we're the Joneses this week. Well, you know, I think they killed them. I mean, it was real. It, they had a real crisis, and in that real crisis, he said, do not fear. The guy who ended up getting his head chopped off would tell you, do not fear. That is demonic. I have some really good friends that are right now, at this moment, Americans who are in Afghanistan working with Christians and pastors how many you know that that situation is a real crisis? And they're having to encourage each other. Guys, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Whatever you come into an agreement with, you empower. Randy mentioned something, you know, it's like, I'm like, I don't care if you get the jab or don't get the jab. My issue is, did you make your decision based on fear? Now, if you did, God can, God can take away fear. I mean, you don't have to live in fear anymore. That's the, that's the good news here. But you see, sometimes fear, fear will masquerade as wisdom. I mean, here are the people of Israel. God, these 12 spies, they go into the land. What do they do? I mean, they go, oh, this is really good. You know, they're carrying the big old pieces of fruit and everything. And they come back and, and, and they say, well, how was it? You know, and, and the, the Joshua and Caleb says, hey, it's all right, it's good, let's go. And the other 10 says, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. There are giants in that land. I mean, we're like I mean, we're like grasshoppers on our own side next to those guys. I mean, I, I don't think this is a wise decision. And you know, all the people received those 10, those guys, that's wise. I mean, they're just looking after us. They're just trying to protect us. Those two, that Joshua and Caleb, now those guys, those are reckless. Yeah. But these 10, uh, I'm not going to say anymore. 
Uh, let me give you what, what uh, this Carol, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, I like some of her writings. She, you know, like first book, first book I read, Switch on Your Brain. You know, it's really good. And she's written extensively on the brain and body-related thinking. You know, with all these studies, that's just more than you can really comprehend. Said this, she said, toxic fearful thinking shifts our bodies into toxic stress, which causes blood vessels around the heart to constrict. This means that less blood flows and oxygen to the brain and 1,400 neural physical responses that should be working for you are now working against you. Potentially, all this does is make you more vulnerable to viruses. When an individual is in a toxic aid-managed stress, the chemical reactions of the anxiety of our brain directly impacts how you perceive things, and our emotional processes include overreactive judgments and assumptions projecting catastrophe. Fear psychologically weakens our immune system, so fear creates the what-ifs. When you're in fear, your body remains in a sympathetic nervous system function, which is fight or flight. This mechanism was given to us as a gift so that we can actually rise up on any occasion whenever you need it, because sometimes you will, you know, you will need that one there. Uh, so, uh, but you know, the thing is, is that people have been living in that state for 18 months. It says, the human beings who live in a sympathetic nervous system perpetually may be unaware that they are rehearsing negative outcomes or are examining negative situations from their past. So in other words, what is happening is that fear is actually messing with a whole lot of people's bodies because they stay in that system their whole, you know, for a long period of time that your body was not made to do that. Let me give you Job, the, a Bible verse. Job 3.25 says, for what, what I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. I'll read that again. What I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. Because you see, fear is the opposite of faith. So whenever the enemy projects fear and you receive fear and you just acknowledge, I mean, you, what, you come into agreement with that, you open the door for what you fear to happen. I got lots of stories on this one. So you have these three things that are just coming at you. You got the devil who's whispering to you. Whispering lies. You don't know they're lies because they sound like you. But you believe them. And you believe them enough that, that what that lie feels true. I pastored in the San Francisco Bay Area for 23 and a half years. I, this is a typical conversation that I would have. This one man comes to me one time. And he says this, he says, he says uh, he's not a believer, but we were actually with a bunch of other believers, a bunch of young adults who actually had loved this guy. And he says, I, he says I, I need you to answer some questions to me. He says, I don't understand why God made me gay. 
I don't understand it. And then he's like against it. He says, now I'm getting all this negative stuff from all these other Christians. I said, are you getting it negative from these Christians? He goes, oh, no, they love me. I said, okay, so don't be putting everybody in that category. He said, but I don't understand why God made me that way. He said, I said, he said, I've always known this. Ever since I was young, I knew I was gay. And I said, well, let me just, you know, let me tell you something. First of all, let me just tell you this, that God did not make you this way. But you have an adversary who wants to take you out. And you see, the enemy knows that if, if I'm going to get you to follow a, an alternative destiny, because he doesn't want you to follow God's destiny, somehow you are a threat to him, that in order to give you an alternative destiny, I have to give you an alternative identity. So when you were very young, the enemy began to whisper lies into your mind that you didn't know were lies. You didn't even, because no, you weren't talking about this with anybody else. And what you were talking about actually felt true, but you weren't talking to anybody. And even if you did, you know, your family weren't believers. They probably were not going to tell you the truth anyway, but you weren't talking to anybody, but you, you took this thought and you entertained it so many times that all of a sudden now that feels true because he has ruts. He's gone down that thinking so many times that that feels true. It feels right. It feels I am this way. I said that that's the adversary trying to take you out. And there's some of you here who are here who have that same struggle. It started when you were young. It started when you were small. It started when those lies were just coming to you. It might have been happened when something happened to you, Randy. You know, a boy talked about, you know, what happened to him and the, the struggle he got into. And it could have been, and it may not be homosexuality. It may be something else. In other words, you have something that the enemy spoke to you, and you just entertained it enough time. And because of agreement, it now feels true because you have embraced the lies. Here's the good news. Jesus sets free the captives and the prisoners. You don't have to be there. That's not who you anymore. The enemy has no authority over you anymore. And whatever journey you're on, God can get you to the other side. I'm going to ask Andy Ward to come on up. Share his testimony. We there? Man, that was uh, Rodney. Good job. They, uh, a while back, they asked me to do this, and I was like, yes, absolutely. I was, I was excited. Let's do this. And then a few weeks ago, they said, hey, by the way, you're going you're gonna to lead off for Rodney. I was like, oh, Okay, I can do that. And about two hours ago, they said, hey, you're going to follow up, Rodney. <laughs> God, what are y'all doing to me? But, uh, man, he, he, he hit on so much of my stuff. Um, and uh, I'm going to, if you guys are all right with it, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bear it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop my drawers, bear it all, and, and be real. And uh, 
Just, well, I won't, I won't do that, Randy, but I'm going to share. I'm going to give it to you, okay? Um, my mom, when she was uh, 16, got pregnant with me, had me at 17. Uh, my biological father left. He was a kid, you know. He, did, he wasn't ready to be a father, wanted nothing to do with me, took off. I never knew him, never, never knew him. Um, I did write to his mom. Uh, we, she, she wrote me letters to my young teens, um, and one time I remember she sent a picture to me. She's just out of, she was being, it was good hearted. She sent me a picture and it was of him and his family, his wife and his kids. And I looked at that picture and I thought, golly, what? I, I don't want to see that, you know? And I, I, I put it away and or threw it away and, um, you know, got that out of my mind. Um, cause I just, he just wasn't a part of my life. I didn't think about him. Didn't Whatever. So my, my mom remarried when uh, I was about three, remarried to my stepdad. Um, he was a, he was a, he wasn't an alcoholic, but when he drank, he got very violent. And I'm talking tear up the house, destroy things, violent, physical. Um, he just, he had a temper. He had no idea how to control it. He was raising us and being a husband the way he saw his dad raising and being a husband. And that's all he knew. He knew no different. Um, he was uh I was the oldest, I was a stepson, so I caught a lot of it. I caught a lot of that stuff. Um, I remember one time we were in the kitchen, and we, the kids were arguing about something, and I just remember him punching me right here in my chest, and it knocked me back, and I just, I remember thinking how hard that felt. I'd never been hit by anything that hard. Um, another time I remember uh, him driving the truck up on the porch. Another time I remember... Mom grabbing us kids, and, and he was in the house just destroying things, tearing th- things up, putting holes in walls. And uh, she grabbed us kids and, and took us out of the house. And on the way out, she grabbed the kitchen knife. And uh, we ran next street over to my aunt's. And uh, on the way, she threw that kitchen knife out because she didn't want him to hurt himself or, or one of us. Um, I got to my aunt's, and my socks were full of stickers and um, just... As you can imagine, there, there, there's a few scars there. Um, go, so basically, I, I went through childhood um, already getting my butt whipped in a war I had no idea existed. Um, go to college, decided to be an adult, do that thing. Um, no idea who I was, what I stood for. Um, no idea who loved me, anything like that. So I go, and what do I do? I start seeking acceptance and love, and uh, with any woman, anything I could get a hold of, partying, drinking, uh, doing it all, doing whatever, um, just a vile human. Um, and then what do you do when you graduate college? You get married, right? And that fixes it. You move on. You get married. Um, got married, had a beautiful, wonderful little girl, um, and I tried. You know, I, I, I did not know God, never went to church as a, as a child, Mom spoke of God, but that was all it was. I didn't know him. Um, so got married, had a kid, and just destroyed, destroyed that marriage. I was never, I was never faithful to her. Um, didn't, know, didn't know how to be faithful. Didn't know, I, I felt bad every time I, I did something wrong, um, but I, I couldn't change it on my own. Um, so then I go... Um, end up destroying that marriage, completely destroying that marriage, losing my career, end up just absolutely hating myself, guilt, shame, 
anything you can think of, it was all, I was, I was wrapped up right here. I hid. I hid from people. I hid. Um, I didn't go in crowds. I didn't go to places. Go in the grocery store, and I'm looking to see if anyone knew me. Um, living off of whiskey, strip clubs, uh, you name it. You know, the, the, the darkest point of my life was, was in that little, that little season. Um, but then, right? Caleb said that earlier, I think. But then, God. Uh, that, that 99, I was that one. He, st- he started, uh, his grace started coming over to my life. Um, first thing he did was he brought Jessica into my life. She's a blessing. Um, brought her into my life, and I, I promised myself, man, that I'm doing this one right. I, I didn't sleep with her while we dated for the longest time, trying to prove to myself. Um, promised myself I was going to do different. I was going to treat her right. I was going to treat her the way she, she deserved. Um, but again, I, I promised myself, and I was doing it myself, right? Um, so as you guys can all imagine how that turned out, um, he ended up messing around on her, um, and I was, I was on that same road to destroying another, another marriage. Um, but like I said, God, God was chasing after me. I was running, but he was chasing. Um, he started aligning things in my life, little things. He just started doing things that I couldn't explain. I didn't even really realize until he completely got a hold of me. But he, uh, he started, he had, had, this, had this yearning to read the Bible. I tried, I'd get it out, I'd fall asleep, wouldn't understand it, but I, it just kept coming back, which was really weird for me. Um, and then uh, shows I was watching, Sons of Anarchy and I think Breaking Bad, just shows I was watching just started making me feel sick when I'd watch them, just really grinded on my soul and uh, stopped watching those. And the biggest thing is every time I drink a beer, I get a horrible headache. One beer, four beers, 12 beers, it didn't matter. And I've been drinking beer, I mean, I, I hate it. Remember, I hate myself at this point. I was drinking a lot of beer most nights to cover up everything I could, anything I could. Um, and then the, the next thing he did, he brought a buddy back into town. Um, who knows, who, how many of you know it's important who you surround yourself with, right? He brought a buddy back to town. That, that buddy um, invited me to a men's retreat in East Texas, and I said, yeah, let's go. I knew I needed something. Uh, what I didn't know is my wife had texted him and said, no matter what it takes, you get a handy to that men's retreat, because she knew. She knew. Um, so we go, uh, go to the men's retreat. It's about the second night. I was somewhere in, over here in the middle, and um, the, the, the Lord was working on me, you know. And I did that deal where you, I, I sat behind the guy, and I said, okay, if this guy gets up, his name was Brian Stacy. I said, if he gets up and goes up to the altar call, I'll go up there. And sure enough, that dude popped up, and I thought, crap. And uh, <laughs> so I, I pop up. I follow him up there. And it, it was about like this. There's a spotlight up here, and um, I, I was going for the easy route. Zach was over here, and I was like, I'll, I'll go to Zach. So I look over there at Zach. He's, he's already talking to somebody. Another buddy over there, he's busy. And I, I just go down the line. And right here, I'm, I mean, down the aisle, under the light, Cody Mahon's standing there. He looks at me. He's a big dude. He's a man's man. He just called me up there. Come on. He said, what do you need? What do you need prayer for? And I just surrendered. I said, I'm, 
I just want to surrender it all. Man. And I don't remember what all he prayed. He, he took me through some things. He cut some soul ties. He, he prayed through some things and took me through some freedoms, uh, gave my life to Christ, all that stuff. But the one thing I do remember clear as day that I'll, I'll never forget. He started play, praying against the orphan spirit. And I don't know this guy. He doesn't know me, knows nothing about me. He starts praying against that orphan spirit. And I just start shaking. I've got goosebumps. And I, I, I literally feel his arm go down my throat and grab that ball, that knot in my stomach and pull it up through my throat. And at that moment, I was a different man. God gave me a new heart. I stopped drinking. I didn't drink for two years. I stopped cussing. I, I, he, it, was just, it wasn't me. I didn't do anything. I, I wasn't given power. I, he did it in me. He took that out of me. Um, and then it's all roses from there, right? You, you go from there and it's all roses. It's all... Uh, Rodney can tell you my stuff still stinks, okay? Um, no, it, next thing you know, I'm, I'm on fire. I'm... Uh, I'm uh, I'm reading, I'm doing all that stuff. Everything I can get my hands on, I'm on fire. And what does God start doing? In, in 2 Corinthians, he says that uh, if my people who are called by my name will seek, will seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. I missed one, that's okay. <laughs> and uh, seek my face and, and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sins, and I will heal, heal their lands. I will heal their lands. And that's what God started doing in my life. He started healing my lands, okay? He, he started healing the things that, that Satan had, t- had started take, taking from me. Had Satan had been taken from me since before I was born. He had been taken from my parents, and, and, and he started, he started re- restoring that to me. Um, one of the things, my careers, I, I won't even go into that, but he just started blessing me and my wife beyond Anything I could imagine. Um, next thing you know, my stepdad, who, was, who had no idea how to handle his emotions, he said, I, loved you, I love you to me for the first time in my life and the only time I've ever heard him say it. Um, then not too long after that, uh, I, my wife gets a message on Facebook, right? Uh, it's my, my biological father's stepdaughter. And uh, she reaches out and says, hey, I've been trying to track down Andy. I found your Facebook. I'd, we'd, I'd like to message him and talk to him. And my wife was so afraid at how I would take that, how I'd handle that news, that she didn't tell me for two weeks. Um, she, when she finally told me, man, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to him. I, I, it just blew my mind. Like, this guy never wanted anything to do with me. I'm a 38-year-old man. You know, so I talked to him, started talking to her. She started asking questions for him. I said, hey, I will, I will, I will talk to him. You will, really? Yeah. So we start talking. Next thing you know, um, we're, we're talking on the phone. We're, we're texting every, every day, every day talking. And, uh, and then on Father's Day, about a year and a half ago, he walks through his front door in Nebraska. And I'm standing there. And I got to hug my father for the first time in 38 years. Wow. 
Satan wanted to destroy that relationship with my father. And he did a damn good job of it. A lot of people asked me, said, hey, what, what? Yeah. Yeah. People ask me, say, how, how could you forgive him? How, how, it, he, he, he missed your entire life. He missed your childhood. He walked out on you. You think about the things you went through because he was gone. But what I know in my heart, what I've experienced is that same enemy that had me balled up, had me hiding from guilt and shame and fear. What I found out, what, he, what I was told is that same enemy was attacking him, was telling him lies that if he reached out, that I would lash out, that I would reject him, that I would be angry, that I'd be harsh. He was believing those same lies that the enemy had been using on me. I found out that he had a picture of me in his living room all through my childhood. And he had been wanting to reach out to me my entire life, but was too afraid, um, too afraid to do that. Um, I'll, skip, I'll skip down here a little ways. Um, the, the one thing I will tell you is it, it is a battle. He, he, he's still coming. In, in Luke, uh, after, after Satan had finished tempting uh, Jesus in the, in, the, in the wilderness, it says that he left until an opportune time. Well, I can tell you this. If, if Satan's going to come back and try again at Jesus, he, he's going to come back and try again at me, right? And what, what he wants you to do is he wants you to drift. He wants you to be lukewarm. There's a reason we're warned of that. He wants you to, to just, just be there. And I know when I'm there because I'm not reading, I'm not praying, I'm, I'm watching a whole lot of Netflix, right? That's a pretty good indicator for me. And next thing you know, I'm in a sexting deal. This isn't, this isn't all that long ago. I'm not talking about ancient history here. I'm in a sexting deal with a neighbor. And that neighbor's husband fa found it and shared every bit of that filth with my wife. You, you, can't, you can't take that back. I can't take that from her. Okay, but it was different this time because what, it, what happened is, is, is my relationship with Christ had put these people in my life and I had a foundation to stand on now, okay? I had a buddy that I reached out to and I confessed my sins to. I, threw, I vomited on him. I told him things from my childhood that I've, I've never spoken before and I haven't since then. I, I found a pastor. I went to Randy and I, and I, I seek counsel with him. I ended up in a, a Conquer series on Thursday morning uh, with other brothers who struggled with sexual sin. There's a few of us in here that struggle with that, right? That's, that's, that's a good place to be. Okay, so it, it was different. Um, I had that foundation. And I'll tell you this. Satan stole a lot from me, and I, I'm, I'm still battling to get it back. But I'll, t I'll tell you one thing he's not going to steal from my, from my children. I went through divorce. My mother, my stepfather, my father, my grandparents, my aunt, uncle, my uh, sis, my brother, my wife, my wife's two sisters, my wife's mother, my wife's father, my wife's grandparents. Y'all getting the picture? All divorce. Okay? I'm taking that back right now for my daughters. I'm warring for my daughters. They will not know that. I pray for their marriage. I pray for their families. I pray for their husbands. Because I do not want them to be growing up not knowing their, their, their Lord and to be losing a war they don't even know exists. Okay? I'm going to finish with this. You guys understand that these are not tears of shame or regret. These are tears of joy for what, what God has done in my life. Right? 
I told you that I, that I, I cheated on my wife. I hurt her. I cut her. But God is bigger than all that. He is bigger than that. And this is, this, is, this is a Facebook post she made. Some of you may have seen it. You probably skimmed right over it. Probably meant nothing to you, but hear her heart in this. I love the way, Je- <clears throat> I, love the way I hear Jesus here. God did not allow those bad things to happen to you. We live in a fallen world. Those bad things were straight from the enemy. What God did was meet you in that place and in that moment. He got you through it. And he alone, and he alone can and will bring good from it if you allow it. God has given me the strength and courage to share a very difficult time with some special women with the hope of it helping them and encouraging them not to give up on God. He keeps his promises. Thank you, God, for always meeting me. That's the God that I follow. That's the God I surrender for. Thank you, guys. We are at war. But the good news is, is that we win. I remind you again, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, not now, you were by nature children of wrath. The enemy has a plan. He has a device he wants to take you out, but God also has a plan. And I'm telling you, he, he, he wants to reveal all of the schemes that the enemy has been using to take you out. And whatever scheme he reveals, we get to disarm and take out. What God speaks the truth, whatever he says is actual truth and has actual substance. It is more real When God says something, it is more real than the world that you see. I want you to stand. I'm going to ask our leadership team just to come on up, and uh, we're going to just spend a few, we're going to spend a few minutes just praying for people and inviting you up. But I'm going to be praying that the Lord will expose all the devices of the enemy so that you are no longer taken out. I mean, you can look at Andy. God had his hand on his life. He broke things off of him. The enemy kept coming back, kept trying to take take it off of him and away from him. But you stick with Jesus and you stick with your buddies. You stick with the truth. 
And it is a process. And then the Jesus that's inside of you will be flowing out of you. So we're just going to be here just to pray for you. Anybody wants prayer? Uh, by the way, uh, we're going to let the, uh, the teams leave, but do not leave until you have everybody in your group. And some people, they're going to be coming up here for prayer. So, you know, just hang out and just wait. So Holy Spirit, we just now invite you right now. We thank you, Lord, that you, you know everything and you still love us and you still have a purpose and you still have a plan. And Jesus, you are in the business of disarming everything, any fear or, or any anxiety or, Father, every device, that everything the enemy is using to take us out, Lord Jesus, you, you can disarm that and remove that. And I ask for light to come on us right now. Your heavenly light <coughs> to shine into our minds and into our hearts and, breathe, and begin to expose all of the devices of the adversary in every lie that we have embraced, every lie that we have come into an agreement with, and we thank you that tonight, Jesus, tonight we can break agreements because you have given us the authority to do so. Because the enemy, he has been shattered, disarmed, taken out, rendered inoperative and powerless, and publicly humiliated on the by what Jesus did on the cross. And Lord, and I just pray that every person here, Lord, who's just kind of been kind of wondering what's going on, I pray you give them a God encounter tonight. I mean, just like we've been hearing, just like Bill, just like, just like Andy, just like these testimonies, Lord, like Caleb. I mean, you just, you have God encounters for us. And Jesus, I ask right now that you begin to encounter us because you're an amazing God. Thank you, Jesus.